Hi, this is Dion Bake from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 53. Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and here with me again, as usual, is Sandy McKay. Hey, Rob, how are you doing today? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm uh, amazing. Couldn't be better. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say pretty good. I'm awesome. I can't complain. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to get the energy out of you. We just closed on a triplex last week, so I'm pretty happy. Sweet. Peterborough? Get another one under our belt. Not in Peterborough, no. This one was in Port Hope. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was exciting. A couple of other, uh, I put in some offers and they haven't went anywhere myself, so I'm going to keep on trying. Still looking to build, so I'm just pushing forward, man. What have you been up to? What have we been up to? Uh, wedding planning. <laughs> that's, that's, they take up a lot of our time. Um, working on the business and stuff. I haven't, we haven't done any real estate purchases or anything for a little bit. So not not anything too exciting there. We're still working on a few projects. So just focused on that. Focused on the wedding, doing all that. It's still chaotic in a good way. So, you know, when you say a little bit, though, it, it really hasn't been that long. I mean, you guys are in the middle of a bunch of rentals right now. It's not like... It's not like you're not moving ahead. Yeah, when got, was the last time you bought something? Nothing this year, actually. So last year? November or something? What, like October, November? November? Yeah, still, that's all right. Yeah. We haven't been looking to buy. We <laughs> had the wedding that stuff. That one project so. you're doing is really big. I think you're you're taking a, a two-unit and turning it into eight units or something crazy like that? Well, it's two semis. It's two semis that are connected, like they're side by side, and they're, they're actually... They're actually nine units when we bought it, but we're like four and five, but we're going back to four and four <laughs> because the five in the one doesn't make any sense. But it's a massive building. Uh, it's big. Yeah, it's like three. They're like close to three thousand, probably three thousand square feet each, or close to it. Yeah, well, that's awesome. They're good so. size. Yeah, downtown Hamilton. And, uh, downtown Hamilton. Big project. They're fun. It's fun. It's good. Learning a lot. I did get to see you what last weekend for about. An hour, you popped into the investor forum, and then you did have to run out and do some more wedding stuff. <laughs> That's it. That's where I'm coming from tonight, too. Food tasting. Actually, can't complain about that. It was good. <laughs> yeah. So did you? So now it's all just food tasting at one place, and then you get to go to another one tomorrow and another one the next day and try and figure out which one's the one? No, but that would sound a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go eat at one place, and it, is this food good? And yes, okay, great. Let, we'll do it. Yeah, well, I guess that saves time too. But you could get a couple free meals out of it, maybe. Well, yeah. Problem is, it's in Toronto, so I don't feel like driving back and forth every day. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, I guess it's probably not worth it for a free meal, yeah. especially in a snowstorm. Yes, that's right. So I'm super excited to have Paul Engelman and Clinton Dochuk on the show tonight. They are with a company called Sela Inc., and they've done a massive amount of conversions from single-family homes to legal basement suites, and we've got them on tonight to pick their brain about all of that stuff. So thanks, guys, for coming on. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate having you guys here. We're going to get into a really in-depth interview with you guys in a few minutes. But first, I just want to remind everybody to go to BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca and uh, check out the website. If you have some questions or comments in the show notes or in the uh, area for the episode that uh, you would like to comment on. So go over there and check that out. As well as we do have on iTunes a couple of new reviews so we're up to 87 reviews on itunes that's just awesome and i'm gonna read a couple of them here we've got one from primo manny and he says you guys are great hello robin sandy i've listened to your podcast a couple of times over and i love it you guys are responsible for me making my decision to move forward with real estate investing i have reached out to some of your guests and one of them just helped me purchase my first Two investment properties this month, one in Barrie, the other in Hamilton. Thank you for inspiring me, and maybe someday I'll be invited to share my experience with your listeners. And again, thanks, and keep up the awesome job you guys are both doing. And that's from Manny. So five stars. Thank you very much, Manny. I love these reviews, Sandy. Yeah, I know. They're awesome. I can't get enough of them. The next one here is from Lucky Roy. Lucky Eroy. He says, motivating and inspiring. Five stars. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm so happy to hear the stories of your guests. I bought my first investment eight years ago, and it's been running since then. I'm finally back to looking at how to buy more properties using the equity in this house and becoming an investment professional. Ideas for another show. Talking with someone who has the uh, CCIM designation. I've already started with the classes. I don't know if you've ever covered this before or not, but Chris Shabib from episode 48 and Elizabeth from 51 both said they went to a weekend conference that taught them how to do the business of real estate. So maybe really good training that's available for someone who's starting to invest just like me. I wouldn't even know how to get financing for my third property or when it's good to incorporate or how to budget or plan for that. So I loved episode 51, but it's how to get to the point where you can create all those corpse that I don't know. Cheers from Helene. Okay, so she wants some more info on uh, how to create all these corporations. Well, you know what? I think that um, it's really tough to get into like the specifics of that kind of thing because it's more focused on your own individual business. Everyone's a bit different, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for something like that, definitely reach out to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I know that we have her contact stuff in our show notes and she is somebody that you could reach out to and she'd be able to guide you in the right direction. Plus, she knows a lot about the financing for um, corporations and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I sent a couple of people her way already that have been, that have really said she's been really helpful. So, just clarifying what because everyone's been different. So, I I'd recommend as they did. You're right. It's difficult to get into specifics on the show because everyone's everyone's got a unique situation with that. So, it's not always a generic solution for everybody. So, I think I think you got to reach out to her specifically and get some. Uh, 
some help. She's great. I've had a few people, like I said, reach out and they've been really happy. Yeah. Yeah. So again, thank you everybody. There's a bunch more five-star reviews, but I just want to thank everybody who sent them in and we really do appreciate them. It helps us move up in the ranks on iTunes and become more visible to anyone that's looking for information like what we've got to offer and they'll get to, you know, enjoy all of our guests like Paul and Clinton. So keep them coming, please. Thank you. Uh, as always, I want to recommend everyone goes over to Breakthrough Podcast.ca. Download our gift there. It's a free tool. The seven freedom activators you can trigger in your property starting right now. It's going to help you create more freedom in your life, especially if you own rental properties or if you're just getting started and you want to kind of transition and make it as streamlined and easy as possible. Then get some seamless. Uh, seamless. Great. Good word. Yeah. Seamless uh, and easy, then just go download that. It'll help you out a lot. And plus, beyond that, it'll help you get on our email list. We'll send out some notifications for some events that we do. And you don't want to miss any of those opportunities to get to some of our events, too. We've had some great crowds at our last couple. And we usually do talk about it on the show, but we really like to see uh, everyone out in the emails as well so they don't miss out on, on updates. Yeah, and you know what? I, again, I like you said, I'm really, really happy about the turnouts that we've had at our events that we've been putting on. We did the one together at the end of January, and there was a good turnout for that, and, and it was fun. It was fun to meet everybody and get to speak to, you know, speak to everybody and also see what you had going on over there, Sandy. So that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. So we want to do some more of those. So sign up for the list and, and get on board so you don't miss out. Okay. So I think it's time for our interview. What do you think? Yeah, let's get into it. I'm excited for these guys. So we've got Paul. Paul Engelman has been in construction for 18 years, three of those working on television for several construction shows. And Paul's worked for several different contractors in various fields, diversifying his knowledge. He's been general contractor, project manager for 10 years, two of those specializing in legal accessory apartments. And for the last seven years, he has owned Sela Inc., a uh, general contracting firm that specializes in creating these legal accessory apartments. Uh, as well, we got Clayton Docek, as mentioned, and he's got 15 years of experience in construction. Ten years of that experience has been spent designing and installing kitchens and bathrooms. And for the past three years, Clinton has been designing and consulting with investors on legal accessory apartments, uh, walking investors through the construction process from building permits all the way to completion of the projects. And so today, these guys are here. They're going to share some of their Biggest and best tips and tricks to adding these accessory apartments and uh, basement suites. And, and they've also got an ebook. Maybe you guys want to talk about this book coming out? Yeah, we've got a book we've uh, been working on uh, over years of experience. We've found a lot of a lot of homeowners don't always know what, what to expect and what they're getting themselves into when it comes to renovation. So we've uh, been working on an ebook called uh, What to Expect When You're Expecting a Renovation. And uh, we're actually going to be offering it free to the listeners. If you go to www.salainc, that's S-E-L-A-H-I-N-C dot com slash free book, you can sign up and get a free copy of the book. We don't yet have it completely finished to the editing process. It'll be uh, done probably in the next couple of months, and you'll be getting a free copy of it. Perfect. Oh, that's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. And I like the uh, little play on words or whatever with the title, you know, because the renovation project really is like your baby, isn't it? 100%. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that you kind of cradle right from the beginning. And uh, when you get to get to the end of it, yeah, it, it becomes your little your little baby. Yeah, and then it's all grown up. How do you kick a rental property out of its own house, though? I don't know how to well, do you know, that. we have the boomerang generation nowadays where it keeps coming back, and that's okay. If it wants to keep doing an ROI for me, I'm fine with that too. All right, okay. 
Yeah, no, thanks, guys. Uh, and thanks for coming on again. I really appreciate that. So I guess thank you for sharing that free gift with our audience. So I really appreciate that. When do you figure that it is going to be out? Uh, we're in, I think, our final edit. So we should be, what is this, March now? So give us probably May, we'll have it completely finished. Right now we've got a lot of projects on the go, which is kind of cutting into our edit and uh, processing time. And we've never actually done an ebook, So there's a bit of a learning curve. Okay. Well, I mean, by the time most people hear this, they should be able to go over and grab it. So thank you. I'm going to switch the questions around, Sandy, or, or go ahead. You do the first one. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we've talked a little bit about what you've been up to, but why don't you tell us a little, a little more about how you got started in this field of the work and in real estate? For sure. Well, I started on job sites from a very young age. My, my dad used to build houses for fun. Almost every house that I lived in as a kid, he built. So I spent uh, most of my young years learning how to, you know, bang in nails and, and play with hammers at, you know, three and up. So it was uh, not surprising that I got into construction. Uh, before I did, I, uh, I spent probably most of my teenage years working in landscaping and learning how to deal uh, with a lot of uh, city uh, inspectors with uh, landscaping in a commercial field. So a, lo a lot of uh, dealing with the city. And soon after that, when I went to university, I spent uh, about eight years working at a, a building center, uh, developing a installation program for them and designing and installing kitchen and baths. So lots of experience working with uh, lots of contractors, plumbers, electricians, uh, learning you know the ins and the outs of, uh, of the construction business from a slightly different perspective. Uh, soon after I finished working there, uh, I ended up getting a job uh, working with uh, several real estate investors. Uh, one real estate investor actually kind of latched on to me and uh, made me almost a captive contractor for him. Uh, he introduced me to a lot of other real estate investors along the way as well and uh, learned a lot in those years working with him about how to deal with the city, how to do designs, working with the Ontario Building Code and, uh, and building specifically accessory apartments. Uh, and that's kind of where I met Paul, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I started in construction. Uh, my first job was uh, a guy that was hired to do the roof on our house when I was 10. Paid me five bucks to carry shingles up, uh, up a ladder. And I thought that five bucks when I was 10 was great money. And then after I got done, he got done with the job. He asked me to come help him on the next project. And, and I realized that it kind of actually was a lot of work and it kind of sucked. So <laughs> uh, that was... At 10, I decided I needed a break. So I went and uh, did some other businesses, 13 and, and 15 and stuff, and uh, then got into construction again, uh, working with a painter when I was 15, and started working with a remodeler. Went to school and decided I was not going to do construction, and but always always did construction on the side. It was kind of the thing that helped me pay, through, pay my way through school, and never seemed to be able to leave the industry entirely. So I ended up just continuing to return to it. I worked in the States along the Gulf Coast of Alabama on high-rises doing HVAC supervision. I oversaw three or four condominiums simultaneously doing several million dollars worth of work and, and uh, supervising that as a project manager. And then uh, in 2007, moved to Canada. My HVAC licenses didn't transfer and uh, I started from scratch again. So I started out as a painter up here and they went back to some framing because I had some background in that and kind of did a little bit of everything and kind of fell my way into doing TV work. A company I started working for was doing TV work and they asked me to come alongside and work with them and uh, ended up on TV, got to meet some really cool guys and some great guys that are all over HGTV and that was a lot of fun. And But then the network that, or the 
production company that I ended up working for at that point uh, went belly up, and uh, I had to go at it on my own again. So I kind of started going back at it, started developing my network of real estate agents and and home uh, based kind of home appraisers, and then um, also home inspectors. And one of those home inspectors called me up about two years ago and said, hey, I've got a house that uh, this lady bought that has an, uh, a non-legal basement apartment. They'd like to make it legal. Can you do it? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, well, two other guys have said no. I said, well, then I'll try. And so I kind of fell into to making legal accessory apartments and uh, have developed relationships with different investors over the years. And I developed a relationship with one that was actually the one Clinton was working for at the time. And he asked me to come alongside and do project managing. And uh, from there, we worked together. That uh, that investor ended up deciding to go another direction. So Clinton and I decided, let's uh, let's join together as a team and, and see what we can do in the way of continuing a business where we focus on this this really interesting niche market. And that's really all you guys focus on now, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. I mean, it, it comes with the territory being a contractor that you end up doing a whole plethora of different things. But our focus is definitely dealing with the intensification in the municipalities that we deal with. So lots of accessory apartments. Okay. Well, that's really, really interesting, guys. Man, thanks for all that background story. That was awesome. Were you in front of the camera, Paul, or...? I, yeah, somewhat. I was what they technically would classify as a behind-the-scenes builder, but I do, I, there is some footage of me actually in front of camera out there. Oh, that's A cool. lot of the time you're just looking at his back. Right. <laughs> it's true. As he, that is he's true. using a nail gun and walk, and they're walking through the scene. Yeah, kind of. Like, there's one There's one show I was a part of that I actually got good footage on, and it was really exciting and kind of fun. Then that show ended up getting a, a cease and assist order because it was too similar to another show. So after the first airing of all those episodes, they will never be on HGTV again. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's a, huh. That was the company that ended up going bankrupt. So... Word to the wise, if you're going to put a show on air, it has to be enough different that the other show like it doesn't suit you. Yeah, somewhat unique in some way. Do you have copies of it? I don't know if I do, to be honest. I had it on a PVR, but I'm pretty sure that PVR crashed and they sent me a new one. So I don't even know that I've got footage of it. No, that's too bad. No, that sounds really cool. Interesting. So guys, what were some of the challenges that everyone has challenges? What were some of your biggest ones when starting out and how do you overcome them? Wow, that's a loaded question. For me, uh, getting into accessory apartments, I would say the biggest challenge that I experienced was dealing with the city. I had a lot of experience dealing with inspectors from my landscaping background. And even when I was doing kitchen and bath and the installation program that I started at the building center I was at, I got some interaction with the city. But the design and planning end of it and learning how to work with the city, work with zoning and planning and building and then possibly bylaw and licensing, it's a bit of a dance. There's creative ways to to deal with them. Paul actually just had a situation where he was at the uh, city today trying to submit some plans and just knowing that he was knowledgeable changed their entire perspective of how they dealt with them. Yeah, it's it's always interesting when a lot of the, the plans examiners, who which, which is typically who you meet when you go into the city and you're submitting plans, is they'll bring a plans examiner out to the to the counter and they'll kind of interact with you and and they'll ask you questions that it's like a lawyer. They they know the answers. They're asking you to the to see if you know the the right answers. And if you give them the right answers, they're a little softer on you than if you 
very quickly show that you don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's interesting with dealing with especially uh, zoning and plans examiners. It's as though they can smell fresh blood. And when you go in there green, not knowing what to say or having the right answers, they'll chew you up and spit you out. Where, I mean, I, my first couple of experiences, I was very blessed at I had some real estate investors who guided me along, took me there the few first couple of times, built a relationship with people in the city. And having that starting point really gave me the foothold to be able to deal with the city and know what to say and when to say it. Yeah, I was uh, lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, that's, um, that's a good point, too, because, I mean, although I do believe that each municipality is not there to sort of run you through the ringer. I do think that there is something to be said for having someone represent your job that does know what they're talking about because otherwise they almost feel like, oh boy, like this is going to waste a lot of my time trying to talk this person through that. But if you've hired guys like you to be on the front lines and come in and handle that kind of stuff, well then you can get it done efficiently and they can get it done efficiently and that just makes money sense. Right. It's so true. Like last year, we had a project, um, actually not an accessory apartment. It was a, uh, a front porch we built for a client. And they insisted, the husband said, I I want to submit the prints. I, I'll deal with the city and everything. You know, I don't want the the, the cost add to that because we, we charge a little bit just for our time to go to the city. And he's, I don't want that, that cost add, so I'll deal with the city. I said, you really, I don't, I don't know that this is a great idea. You've never really dealt with the city. And he went in three times and finally called me. Actually, no, I take that back. His wife called me and said, he is so mad. You need to go deal with this. I don't care what it costs. Please just just go fix this because every time he goes in, they ask him questions he can't answer and he gets frustrated and he lost his temper at them and might have swore. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, may or may not have. Like, like any industry, Rob, it's, it's all about building relationships. I mean, you guys, you do real estate investment, you, you deal with clients on a regular basis. Uh, it's all about building relationships, both with the clients and the people that you have to interact with on a regular basis. The flip side of that story was Paul went in once at the end of that and had the plan submitted and we went ahead with the project. Yeah. Uh, and it was simply because we knew the right people to talk to. We knew what to say to them to get things pushed along. So that was kind of a long answer to one of the challenges that you guys faced was really just getting to getting on the inside of that wall, I guess, that that relationship provides. So were there any other challenges that you guys had? I think for me, uh, the first project I did, I didn't realize that there was a fire code and there was a Ontario building code and that those are not always uh, the same. And so because I had never done uh, anything that really required me to bring in a fire inspector to deal with that, doing the first accessory apartment, I, I did everything to Ontario Building Code standards. And then the fire inspector came in and he said, well, I'd like this, 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 and this, and this done. And I, I was like, seriously? Like, uh, are you kidding me? But so that, And then so part of it was for me was I actually hadn't priced in all of those changes. So it was a, a painful learning experience and one that cost me a little bit more than I wished it would have. I'm glad I didn't have that learning experience. <laughs> yeah. uh, you 
you know, I was very fortunate. Like I said, I mean, it, for, for me, uh, I had some real estate investors who walked me through some of those steps. So unlike Paul, I got the heads up of, you know, sprinklers having to be in a furnace room or, you know, having to have uh, integrated smoke alarms, all those little things that they're actually part of the Ontario building code now as well. So it's, it's, it's knowing all of the, yeah, all the ins and outs of, of, of the whole plan. Yeah, and I mean, once you get familiar with the uh, fire code and the building code, then you just know when you walk into a project what things are required of you, and it's pretty standard pretty much every time. And actually, most recently, I'm sure you can probably shed some light on this, but at least in my market here anyway, um, they've decided to be a little more lenient with the ceiling height issues, just because people you don't know what they're gonna do like there's there's been a bunch of people that have sort of compromised the integrity of their house because they need to get a structural beam to a certain height in order to meet the requirements and these people are just taking like a a sawzall to a a structural beam and covering it up with drywall so the city's gotten wind of this or at least i guess not wind of it but they've realized how much this rule is sort of affecting the it's sort of having the adverse effect of what they want it to have in that it's causing more problems than it's solving. So they've decided, okay, uh, maybe we, 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 we aren't going to push things as far as we did at first. Yeah, it depends on the municipality. You, you can run into situations where there's, uh, there's some leniency in regards to the Ontario Building Code and even the municipal bylaws. I mean, long and short of it, all those rules are in place for a particular reason. Sometimes they don't make sense uh, to you know the average personal person who has to follow them, but they're there for a reason. I mean, I, I think the one you're referring to is underneath beams where you have to keep a minimum of, of six foot five for path of egress. I mean, there's there's reasons for that. Obviously, you know, you got to have a, a path of escape and a, a path for firefighters to get in. But I have noticed, uh, like you said, Rob, there have been some times in which. You know, you have that six foot four where it's not quite there, but the municipality is willing to work with you to understand that, you know, for you to change something, it, it could be dangerous and they don't want that. It could be dangerous or you could just choose to do it the wrong way and cover it up. And I think that was more what, what it was that for, for at least here anyways. I don't know if you guys have run into that. I don't see that. I've I don't seen see stuff, stuff like done wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I certainly have myself too. So I like I like the fact that they're understanding that. Yeah. Sandy, yeah don't don't gonna... misunderstand what I say, Rob. I mean, it's uh, the, the, the municipalities uh, they they can be tough about things, but again, once you've built a relationship with them, it, it makes all the difference. It makes things a lot easier to to get things through, uh, especially you know little variances like that. Oh, that was just one small example of the millions of things that you have to sort of tackle every time you take on any kind of renovation project. I'm sure you guys, it's not just basement apartments. It's all kinds of different things, Mm -hmm. building decks or whatever it is. Sandy, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say we don't see see that particular one here because nobody does legal accessory apartments here, really. Not in Hamilton. Not many do because it's just very difficult. City's not as open to it here. But I mean, it's the same thing though. Like you said, that's just one thing. There's all sorts of stuff that, that we deal with on uh, different sort of, uh, we still add suites. We add, you know, convert from legal to two, from legal two to three, so things like that, that are, that you're still dealing with height issues or unit size issues, things like that. So there's tons of different variables, but that's good. That's interesting that the city is more open to things like that. Cause that's, that's going to help you guys out a lot. Well, I like when a municipality actually uses their brains instead yeah. of just sticking to uh, whatever's written in the book, you know, yeah. in the book. That's-
that's what must be done. But guys, do you want to take us through the process of how you would, because you guys are taking on big jobs. Like these aren't just little jobs. You guys are essentially adding another house inside of a house, really. Take us through the process of, of how you would estimate the cost for that kind of a project. Wow, you like big, really loaded questions here, Rob. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it first starts with an evaluation of whether the property is a suitable candidate for this type of project. I mean, not every house is suitable, uh, and some houses that are suitable in one municipality may not necessarily be the ideal candidate in another one. Paul and I were discussing this today about uh, there's been some amendment changes to some of the municipalities in our area for accessory apartments, and it's amazing the vast difference between you know what fits the criteria for the right house for an accessory apartment. Um, but I, I'd say that's probably your, your first step is, is making sure that you meet, can meet all the zoning requirements of the city. Head heights, obviously you mentioned that earlier, that's, that's a big one. And then it, it becomes a, a question of, uh, of design and what that is going to end up costing. Sometimes, you know, a house is predisposed to being able to, to put in all the necessary uh, fixtures, you know, a kitchen, bathroom down in the basement. Sometimes it involves breaking up a bunch of concrete, putting in piping, putting in vents. Uh, all that stuff obviously adds to the cost of a, a project. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a kind of a general idea of what, it, you know, things would normally cost. Like, you can say, generally speaking, uh, uh, you know, a 900 square foot basement is generally, if, if it's from scratch, it's going to be about $60,000. But it all comes down to finishes. We've worked for some investors that very that liked very high-end finishes, and they would spend, you know, uh, eighty dollars to $100,000 on, on the same sort of renovation that could be sixty, depending on what finishes you went for. So it, it kind of depends that, that we've had them where we've put in, there wasn't a rear entrance. And so we actually dug out and put a, a back entrance, dug everything out, put in a weeping system and put a rear door where there was not a door before. So there's a easy, there's easy ones. And then there's some that are, you really have to work for it to make it happen. Okay. So as far as the, I'm sure, like, I know what you're saying. I get the idea that there's a general um, cost that you guys that uh, that you guys know just from having the experience but i'm sure there's a bunch of people i'd love to role play with you i'm not going to do that because i can just hear it right now like these guys are like so you know i i got this basement here i know i know there's nothing in here right now but i'm looking at putting a basement apartment in here and i'm thinking like a real I, i'd like to spend about 20 grand to do this like i'm sure you get that kind of stuff all the time so <laughs> we're we, gonna... we do get those we do get those yeah i feel bad for those guys and honestly like i remember a couple of years ago i got a call from a guy who bought a place and you know he had he had a kind of a finished basement and he wanted to make it a legal apartment but he didn't really have any money to work with and and so it was difficult for him to to finally come to the grips with the fact that he had bought a house that he wanted to put a basement apartment in, but he just didn't have the money to do it because somebody somewhere, I think at work or something, had told him that, oh, you can probably do it for ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and that's not at all the case in, in this instance. And so, did you guys end up doing that job? I uh, ended up telling him to come back to me when he had more money. <laughs> um, and or or wanted to be more realistic, I guess is. 
really what yeah, like I sat down with him and kind of explained what he actually should be what what it was actually going to cost and why it was going to cost that. And unfortunately, he did call me back later because he had hired a guy that was a handy guy to do some of the work, and it was unsafe and dangerous. So um, I went in, and uh, this handy guy had done all the electrical work himself. And there was just a lot wrong. All the drywall finishing himself. I walked into the basement and knew that there was some stuff that was wrong. And it was totally not going to be able to be legalized. He had kind of made an apartment in there. Uh, He had thrown together kind of a bar slash kitchen kind of thing. And I told him, like, you know, how much money do you have left? And he goes, well, I held back. I think it was $1,200 or $1,500. And I said, do you need to take that money? And I will hook you up with my electrician. I'll tell him to give him the best rate you can. But you've got to make this safe because I'm seeing stuff right now that's making me nervous. The electrical's going to be an issue. And quite honestly, like, it, it doesn't matter if you have a basement apartment that's legal or not legal. If your house is going to burn down, that's more important. So deal with that. And, uh, you know, I, I never, I heard, never heard from him again. I did hear from my electrician that he used all of that money, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, and it's one of those situations where sometimes desperate people do things that might not be the best thing to do in the long run. Uh, I would, I, you know, I would have said, you know, Hey, figure out, wait till you have some equity in your house pull it out and then put the basement apartment in or go kind of look at other avenues other than, uh, you know, trying to do something when you don't have the proper funds to do it. Yeah, true enough. And I mean, I guess, Clinton, uh, to be fair, that was kind of a loaded question because there's, it's really on a case-by-case basis of how you would renovate repair or uh, estimate repair costs, I guess. Exactly like you said, like there's all kinds of different things depending on just the just that one story that you told where you had to drop a doorway down that's something that people would never see until they had you out there to explain that to them so so okay you know i i appreciate you tackling the question anyways i mean in fairness like you said there there's a certain predisposition that we have rob to it you know you do this enough that you know what to expect when you walk into a place it's not uncanny to you know hear fifty sixty thousand dollars to do an accessory apartment from start to finish it's and if you if you walk into it with that frame in mind that you know it's it's going to be in that sort of range then you know you're prepared for a a realistic cost twenty thousand dollars now we've done renovations before fortunately in one of the municipalities that we work in oshawa uh right now they have a transitional rule in place where if you have an existing apartment that is not legalized you can legalize it if it meets certain criteria and if you can get a signed affidavit about it and in those situations sometimes it's a very simple process to get it to that stage you know it's uh, smoke alarms or putting up some some uh, fire rated drywall so that you can meet the criteria of the fire code and other times it can't meet that criteria there's other municipalities where if it's existing it means they want to do some inspections they want stuff ripped open and sometimes that can be a really inexpensive process and sometimes it can be a very expensive process one thing i always recommend to anybody you know if if you're doing anything in your house that involves structural changes or plumbing changes or electrical changes, take the permit out. You know, it's for the small amount of cost that it is to a permit and the slight inconvenience, it makes a world of difference. We, uh, we ran into a property recently where someone had done an accessory apartment and 
a simple thing like putting in an egress window and putting in a window well so that it, it met those requirements. They did it without a permit, and my goodness, it was just a whole lot of wrong. Uh, it, it, it turned from a $60,000 renovation that this person had already had done, and it, it was another $15,000 just to fix a window. All because oh, you're gonna have to tell me who that was after we get off the call. Yeah, yeah. I don't. For politics reasons, I don't want to discuss on on air. Politics. <laughs> we don't want to get sued. But yeah, we come out. We come in and fix other stuff that's been done by other people that unfortunately is is not done well or not done right. You know, the the one with the door cut out. Like they they tried to put a basement apartment in. But there wasn't enough head height going into the basement, and so they 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 just kind of I guess figured that whoever was going to rent that apartment was just going to do the limbo uh, to get down in there. And so to make it legal, we were going to have to um, to change the stairs in some way, and we weren't able to to move where the head where the head was going to hit, um, where the head height issue was created because it's in a very nicely finished kitchen. So what we did was the rear entrance, we cut it down and took it down 12 inches. We had an elevated patio, so we broke up the elevated patio, took it down to to, to the rest of the grade of the yard, re-poured a new slab, uh, underpinned the existing floating patio, and was able to then lower the the landing and lower all the stairs so that the stairs were actually going to clear for the head height. So you sometimes you have to get super creative with these, which is kind of uh, I guess the premium that you pay for us since we you know have so much experience. It costs a little bit more because we end up having to you know utilize more of our brain power sometimes than in others other circumstances well that gets me all excited guys that you guys actually came up with a solution for that like there's not a lot of guys believe it or not there's not a lot of guys that would have come up with that solution they probably just would have thrown their hands up and said okay well i guess you're screwed yeah you know <laughs> i i i believe that like so so the fact that you guys have come up with solutions to problems like that is great um, yeah, you'd be amazed sometimes some of the things that you have to do to get creative to make these things work. Even with dealing with the city, sometimes uh, certain requirements that inspectors have over other inspectors. We've had situations where, you know, we brought in a framer, didn't frame a wall properly, and, you know, it didn't create the proper fire break that we needed. You know, the inspector basically gave us a choice of ripping it out and redoing it or finding some other way to make it work. And uh, that was one of those situations where, you know, we could either stick blocks in to meet the, the proper fire break for having a second top plate or we could run the drywall over the whole situation. And eventually, you know, we discussed it with the inspector. And we're like, how about we just put fire rated drywall on these walls? Your concern is about fire rating. And it was the quickest, cheapest solution, uh, kept the inspector happy and allowed us to continue on with our project without a big hiccup in our, our timeline. Yeah, see, exactly. So that's something that a lot, probably a lot of people wouldn't have seen either. Because you're not thinking about drywall when you got the framing up and they go, this framing is wrong. So, right. no, that's interesting. So you're trying to say, I don't want to get technical with everybody, but you're trying to say, so you had the whole basement framed and they said you needed a double plate on the top and you guys used a single plate. Exactly. We, we brought in a framer in this situation, and usually if you're doing a basement rec room, it's no big deal if you put a single plate on the top and the bottom. It's not needed for fire rating, but in a situation where you have to meet an Ontario building code and they have a certain minimum requirement for burn time, it needs that second top plate so that it yes. meets that burn requirement. 
that, uh, that and makes in this situation, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I was just gonna. Uh, it was sarcasm. I was just gonna say yes, more wood for the fire. We need more wood. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. Sometimes we didn't things say it always makes sense. It's the, but it's the rule. Go figure. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was one of those situations where the framer was so used to doing, you know, your basic rec room uh, renovation. You don't think about putting a second top plate on it. If you're building a, a structural wall, yeah, for sure, you put a second top plate on it. But in a basement, you know, let's save on the wood. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't work with accessory apartments. There are certain code requirements that are necessary, and. This framer wasn't aware of that, and so we had to come up with a creative solution that wasn't going to cost us an arm and a leg to try and solve. And now we have more questions to ask our subs uh, that are framers before they frame for us. <laughs> yeah, well, now you know, though. You know what? I don't think I've ever double-plated any of my framing in new apartments, but wow. maybe I just have the right inspector, I guess. Yeah, really? <laughs> um, okay. incredible. Let's move on. So uh, we have another question here. What is the next question? I got, I got it. No, this is this is awesome, guys. This is super informative. We're gonna switch gears here for at least one question. I just want to know what kind of systems do you guys use in your business to be more effective? Not necessarily all real estate related systems, but anything really that helps. Well, we use QuickBooks online. I find that that's actually really beneficial for our bookkeeping and stuff. And because it has an app I have on my iPad, I can do change orders on the fly. So um, say an investor decides they want to change the finish or they want to make you know changes to what the existing prints are, I can actually type up the change order on my iPad and have them sign it all on the iPad. And I have, I have then a receipt, an acknowledgement that they know it's going to cost them more and how much it's going to cost them. I tether that to my phone. I emailed it to them and uh, I'm done. So it's kind of made life a little bit easier on the paperwork. Uh, we also use Google Docs a lot. Pretty much all of our projects, from the time we quote it, we put it into a Google Doc. That Google Doc is then broken down, and we figure out what finishes. All the uh, we're not quite to the point where we put all the SKUs. We're working on that. Where we actually put all the SKU codes into there, so that we know from the beginning what toilet we're going to be using and that sort of a thing. And so we can actually have everything kind of preset. It helps kind of creates a nice focused system, and a, it's a nice matrix that we can kind of use to control everything. Because if you can't control it, it's very hard to duplicate it. And if you can't duplicate it, you probably don't have much of a business. So it's always about creating systems to make it so that if we or when we enlarge or get larger or bring people on, we can kind of give them the system, teach them the system, and it's transferable in that way. Yeah. And from a design perspective, I mean, a lot of the designs that we do, I'm usually drawing them all out. So the biggest thing for me is developing my skills in CAD. That was a huge thing. Uh, having that system available to us, it just makes you look more professional when you're going to the city. I mean, I've done it before where I've done the hand drawing drawings and they kind of look at you like you got two heads, like, what are you thinking? But having that in a, a digital format to be able to present them, huge. It's also great, like now I've gotten to the stage where being able to, to do a preliminary drawing and send it off to the client so they can see what they're in for, if there's something that they want to change or modify about the design, uh, if I can do that within the Ontario Building Code, I can do that ahead of time so that they can see it. Uh, the other big thing that we've been developing lately, especially when it comes to accessory apartments, we'd love to be able to apply it to a lot of our other jobs, is we, we developed a accessory apartment pricing matrix. So we've gotten to the stage now where eventually I'll be able to hand it off to somebody else to use my drawings and they can simply quote out the entire project. 
But as it stands right now, we can walk into a project, lay out a, a room, lay out all the bedrooms, the kitchen, how big it is, how much countertop we have, and it will actually punch out for us what the cost of the, the renovation will be. That sounds very cool. Tell us a little bit more about that. How did you, where did you come up with that? Well, we got tired of, do, of trying to recreate the wheel on every, wheel on every project. <laughs> you kind of get sick of doing the same steps over and over again. Now, Paul and I have both been doing this long enough that in most cases we can walk in and have a pretty good idea of how much things are going to cost, but that's not always the case. Uh, and you spend so many hours, we, we spend a lot of hours on the tools, and then we spend a lot of hours doing design and talking with clients and and then putting quotations together. And there are certain steps that we just kept doing over and over again, especially with quotations. And I get sick of doing the same thing over and over again when it comes to stuff like that. I stu like stuff that's new and fresh, and if I can find a way to make my life easier, I will. So. One day we were we were talking about it and obviously doing a lot of accessory apartments and uh, I decided that I'm going to just go on Excel and start mapping out. We know how much two by fours cost. We know how much it costs for us to do the framing. We have a general idea of our cost for uh, plumbing fixtures and electrical fixtures and our electricians and our plumbers. How much it costs to put in tile. Let's just finally put that into a format where you know we can just input the information from this particular job and it can punch out all the information that we need. Now, obviously, it, it's a work in progress, and each project is a little bit different. Sometimes it needs to be tweaked a little bit, but as a general ballpark right now, it is, it's working quite effectively on being able to map out a costing for a project without us having to sit down and figure out every little step along the way over and over again. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah and that probably yeah. comes in very handy. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Where can I get my hands on that? Um, well, you know, at some point, Rob, we'd love to be able to develop it into a user-friendly uh, app that will be able to be accessible for you know real estate investors like yourself, uh, so that they can get a general ballpark walking into a project. Is this viable for me? Can I get a good return on investment? Uh, can I make this cash flow after I do the project? So it's in the works, but. Apps take quite a bit of time to, to develop. It's going to take a lot longer than doing an ebook. I can tell you that. Done a little bit of research on it, and it's 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 something that we're thinking about doing, but it's it's not quite there yet. If there's anybody out there who develops apps for cheap, uh, we would be willing to talk to you because it does not look like it's going to be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> what about for a cut of the uh, proceeds? Joint venture. We can work on some JV. I was going to say, joint venture. I wouldn't underestimate the, the listeners we got. I bet there's someone out there who's going to reach out to you about it. Our <laughs> listeners are all about the joint venture. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then after that, good luck getting you guys down into a basement swinging a hammer. That's it. Well, that's kind of the thing, right? Our goal basically is to work ourselves out of a job and into a system. And, uh, you know, because a system is, you know, a system works if you're in Florida on the beach, just as well as if you're actually in the basement swinging a hammer. So, you know, I was taught years ago by a mentor who uh, I found out years later was actually a multimillionaire. I didn't know it at the time. But, uh, you know, he used to talk about developing systems and watching your pennies. So I've worked over the years to, to watch my pennies and to develop systems that, uh, you know, make it so that the systems operate without my me touching them all the time. Oh, great. Okay, cool. We kind of brought it up a little bit, but uh, OBC rules, Ontario Billing Code versus local uh, municipal uh, rules. Which one supersedes the other? That's a really great question. Um, well, Ontario Building Code 
specifically deals with the building, like the actual structure, what you're putting together, the nuts and bolts of it, how far things have to be spaced, how big a room has to be, how much light you allow into it. Uh, so it specifically deals with how you're going to build it. Whereas bylaws, the municipal bylaws, dictate how you can build that in a particular area. So just for an example, I'll use Oshawa because that's a, that's a great one. Uh, Oshawa has certain municipal bylaws that say that if you're building an accessory apartment, you have to be able to have parking spots that are 2.75 <laughs> meters by 5.5 meters. This is a good one. And you have to be able to park it in such a way that all the cars can be moved out easily. So you gotta ha you can have two parking spots in a row, and you can park one beside it. So if you're parking two beside each other, you have to have 5.5 meters of space. Now, also in, in their zoning bylaws, it says that you have to keep 50% of your front yard as green space. So if you have 5.5 meters of parking, you need to have a minimum of 11 meters of frontage, or 36 feet 1 inch, to be able to uh, meet the zoning requirements. Now, there's ways that you can get around that. You can go for a com uh, to the Committee of Adjustments and have a variance. It's a little bit of work, takes a little bit of time, but it is possible. However, and this is where I was saying before, you know, a property might be great in one area but not in another. If you go to, let's say, Clarington, for example, they have different bylaws when it comes to parking. So their parking spots are only 2.7 meters, so it's a little bit less. And if you park two beside each other, suddenly the cars shrink and it becomes 4.6 meters for two parking spots. So now instead of needing 5.5 for parking, you only need 4.6. And then their green coverage is totally different again. So it's 30%, I think, in Clarington or 40%. So you don't need as much green space coverage. So you can have a lot that's only 10.5 meters and it will meet the requirements where in Oshawa you'd have to have a variance to do it. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. But it sounds, is, is it 10.5? Because it sounds like it'd be less if, less for parking and 30% green space in the front. That sounds like quite a significant difference. Yeah, I'm, I'm just throwing a number out there. I didn't do the calculation, but you get the idea. <laughs> no, yeah. You can, you can actually do it in less space. So you don't need as yes. much frontage to be able to a make it work. A lot less space. That sounds yeah. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest things is the parking layout. In some municipal by, uh, bylaws, like uh, Coburg just came out with theirs, and in their amendment, it says that you can't have an apartment with more than two bedrooms. Now, there, there are people who are trying to contest this because, let's be honest, there's the opportunity to build apartments where you can have three bedrooms easily. But in Coburg, that's the requirement. You can't have more than two bedrooms. In Port Hope, you can only use one-third of the entire footprint to build an apartment. So if you've got a house that's 30 by 40, and so that's 1,200 square feet. You got two levels of, in a bungalow, your basement and your upper level, or your main floor, sorry. Uh, that's 2,400 square feet. So the biggest apartment you can build in Port Hope is an 800 square foot in a 2,400 square foot footprint. And that doesn't apply anywhere else. So depending on where you are, municipal bylaws can change, and they're dictated by what the municipality requires or what, what they want to see happen as their, their overall plan. But the Ontario Building Code doesn't change. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, the Ontario Building Code kind of supersedes everything as far as the construction of it, but the municipal bylaws work with that and determine how you can build that in that particular area. Wow. And Port Hope wants you to have a tiny apartment. 
<laughs> Unless you yes. have a really big house, and then you can build a very big apartment. Yeah, you'd have to have an enormous freaking house to make that make sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on, guys. What uh, what do you think are some of the most important things that investors should consider before a renovation of this type? Well, I think uh, having realistic understanding of what it was gonna, what it would cost, is important. You know, I think. If you're if you're green to this and you've never invested in a property, I think finding out whether you want to be a landlord or not is important. Uh, I remember there's other ways to invest in real estate without being a landlord. There's you know uh, there's storage units you can buy. There's cottages you can do. You can find out if you want to own the property and have a management company handle it and stuff. So figuring out, you know, and and it could be something that you buy the property and then you find out what personality type you have. But I'm reminded of a a client I had years ago. She spent like $65,000 roughly. I don't know. I've done too many of these. But we put a legal basement apartment in. And I saw her six months later or so and uh, at the store. And I said, you know, how's it going? You know, how's it being landlord and stuff? And she says, you know, Paul, we brought somebody in they lived there like a month or two and we decided that this landlording thing wasn't for us we were just nervous about the noise transfer that that they could hear us or you know that the baby would disturb and they had a young child and and so we told them here's your money back for the rest of the month you know you're gonna probably need to find somewhere else to live and we've taken back over the basement and it was sad for me because I knew that how much money they had spent and it's it's more expensive to construct a legal basement apartment than it is just to put a rec room down there. So they mm-hmm. spent significantly more than they needed to. So I think knowing you know, knowing your why, but then also knowing your personality, knowing yourself to know whether that's something that's that that's actually going to work for you as, you know, to put in accessory apartment in as compared to other forms of investing in real estate. You know, some people's personality isn't fit to be a landlord, but you need to make sure that you're pay, making enough to pay for having uh, someone else manage the actual property. No, that's good advice, Paul. What about you, Clinton? What do you think? For me, I would say one of the most important things is being prepared for the investment that you're doing, making sure that it's the right right fit. I, I don't know how many times I've come across uh, an investor who's trying to work on uh, developing a property and doesn't know what legal non-conforming means or walks into a house thinking they have the capability of turning it to an accessory apartment and there are several bylaws that it just doesn't meet. The big fear that people have of the committee of adjustments and what that entails, dealing with the city. I, I We actually were at a real estate investment group a little while ago, uh, the Durham REI, and it was amazing to me with the amount of real estate investors that are there, how many of them we're just blown away by the idea that we take a project from start to finish and that they don't have to deal with the city. That was a big thing. You, yeah. We don't have to deal with the city. You'll deal with them. Perfect. That's exactly what they wanted to hear. For us, it's it's not a fear of the city, uh, but definitely, you know, the city has all the answers and they're willing to share those if you if you talk to the right people uh, especially when it comes to investing in a property there's nothing more heartbreaking than to try and explain to somebody that it's not as easy as you think uh, with this property to do what you want to do so i think being prepared for for what has to come is is the biggest thing for sure yeah well i guess that that probably comes down to whoever they bought the property with as well because i mean the majority of the time when somebody goes out and they buy a property like this, their agent or whoever they're working with would understand their their intentions. So I think that it's also really important to be working with the right agent who can guide you in the right direction, not 
sort of leave you when you call Paul and Clinton to go, oh, uh, yeah, you probably shouldn't have bought this place if that's what you were thinking of doing. <laughs> you that's know? a really great point, Rob. Actually, we actually do some of our own investing as well, too, right? So we, we don't just do the, the construction. We, we feel what it feels like to be an investor as well. And there's, for what, probably a couple of years now, we have been trying to work with certain real estate agents to meet the criteria of what we're looking for in a property. We want something that we can flip. We want something that we, we can see the value in, that we can hold on to in a long run. Something to do a value add to. And, and it's taken a while to find someone that we can work with. You want to have a rapport with them. You also want them to be looking for the right properties. I don't know how many real estate agents we dealt with that just started sending us stuff from MLS and it's you're not understanding what we're looking for. Um, so it's it's definitely key that you have somebody that you can work with on that end who knows the criteria of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if a real estate agent is knowledgeable of, I mean, even a general knowledge of bylaw and understanding. I mean, I, I remember it would have been, I don't know, two years ago now, one of the first couple of properties I did, this woman had bought this property. She needed to put a basement apartment in to be able to afford the mortgage for the property. That's actually something we see a lot of, unfortunately. As people get in, they've bought this property. They want, they need the, they need the basement apartment in as fast as possible because they've only, you know, they can only afford six months of six months of carrying this mortgage until they need the, the the infusion coming from the basement apartment. And you know, she says, "Well, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this." And I said, "Well, you back onto Cloca." And she goes, "What does that mean?" Well, I know that you love the back view, you know, of your of your ravine lot, but that means that we have to get certain requirements done because you know the the exit of your basement apartment is is on into your backyard, which is Cloca's jurisdiction. Explain what Cloca is. Cloca is a the conserve was a conservation association that oversees uh, green space. And they ensure that green space is not deteriorated or destroyed in any way. Um, they they kind of protect the green belt or this particular section of the green belt. There's several of them around the green belt, and they they so you have to you have to pay them for a permit on top of all the other permits to do what you want to do. You have to present prints to them. Sometimes you have to go to a committee with those guys just to get through what you want to get done. Well, Uh, they're a lot more restrictive too because they don't want you changing the footprint of the house and they don't don't want you changing grade of the house and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, that's that's, (laughs) interesting. So what did you do for that? That one, luckily, there was a partial walkout, so we we got away with um, just changing some different. We we worked with them a lot. It was one of those you went before them and you said, "Listen, you know, this is what this lady wants to do. What what can we do? What would you like to see from us?" And then then I took that went took that back and worked on figuring out how that I how I could satisfy what they were looking for and it was a kind of a give and take you know it was one of those where I'm like okay guys like you know we can we can turn this the walkway and we can turn the staircase you know instead of the walkway coming straight out we'll keep it tight to the house that way we're not uh, not getting too close because there was one of the trees they were worried about us damaging their root its root system and so we had to do it was about a half dig out to get the, 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 the door out and instead of it coming straight straight out it had to basically t- fit go tight to the house and then up the side of the house in order to satisfy their demands it just did create a bit of an issue with one of the windows that it went by and so it was kind of a 
a, a fun, weird situation. We had to put a restrictor on the on the window so that the window couldn't open fully because it was a large enough window it could be used as an egress. But if you jumped out of the window, you would be falling down the stairs that went down to the to the to the door. Right. Okay. So not, it was, not that's funny because not only are you dealing with the uh, regular restrictions and uh, and requirements, you have to go through their requirements as well. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, very, very interesting. You go to the city of Oshawa, you go to Cloca, you go back and forth, you go back and forth, you go back and forth. I mean, it took me almost probably a week of going back and forth with them till both entities were satisfied that that we were able to sat, you know complete what they wanted to have done. Next question. And I think Paul uh, <laughs> hit the nail on the head with the phrase that he used. It is probably my favorite term when dealing with anybody who's in a bureaucratic position, which is, what is it you'd like to see? What is it to satisfy what you want in this situation? Because they're just people. I mean, yeah. they're, they're people that are trying to do their job, and uh, there's always a solution. It's just a question of how creative you have to get to get to that solution. That is a um, good question. Yeah, it's, it's not about me advice. at this point. It's what is it that you want to see? That's it. And a good general contractor, a good contractor in general, would – the biggest skill set that you need is problem solving. What do you do when you get into a situation that you've not been in before and how do you solve it to meet everybody's needs? And that's what we do. <laughs> so move, moving on forward, guys, looking forward, what are you guys doing for the future? What's in the plans? Well, right now we are we're in the last probably we got two weeks left. We'll be finishing our flip house, which is exciting. We're doing a house out in Port Hope, so we're going to be doing that, finishing that one off. We've got a project under contract in Oshawa that uh, we're going to be is currently an illegal two unit. We'll be making a legal two unit, which will be tons of fun because we'll be doing it for ourselves for the first time. And uh, which is where we kind of get to feel the investor pain um, a little bit, but uh, just continue to develop uh, better systems so that we can more effectively and more efficiently do work for clients and do work for the, our investors so that they're able to get the fastest and best uh, quick, quickest uh, return on their investments. And so we'll continue to, to, to put in accessory apartments. And we'll probably going to be pushing more to the east, doing more work in Port Hope, more work in Coburg. Um, and we're looking at expanding up to do some stuff in Peterborough as uh, investors are starting to ask us about doing stuff up there. So uh, kind of expanding our, our realm of, of where we where we consider ourselves experts and doing more of these projects, having to continue to get more creative and have fun. Awesome. And uh, what kind of resources can you recommend? We've talked a lot about them in the show, clubs and, and whatnot, but what other resources, anything else you can recommend for new investors? And before you answer that, uh, Clinton, I, I know that you're big on the uh, Ontario Building Code, and I think I've heard you say before that you read it for fun, but we don't want to hear that, okay? Don't tell because <laughs> none yeah, of our well, listeners are going to go out and read that. Uh, for fun. for like, most of the normal people out there, if you want a, a book to fall asleep to, the Ontario Building Code is great. Uh, for me, yeah, definitely. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, I enjoy learning about all the, the new codes and and, uh, and and what to expect in, in the future. In fact, they're coming out with a new version of it very shortly, so I'm really excited Exciting. to get my, my new sheets to add to my compendium. Uh, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but I would say, and this, you know, one of the best,
best ways, if you want to be a, a millionaire, if you want to be a good real estate investor, if you want to do something in life, you find people who are already good at it and who already are knowledgeable about it. So, I mean, yeah, we talked about real estate investment groups. That's a great way. Um, I do know of a couple of real estate agents uh, that do these tours. I don't, I don't think a name comes to my mind right off the top of my head, Rob, but I think, Rob, there is somebody that I know, Rob, who does these tours, goes through, and it kind of walks people through uh, what's involved in making accessory apartments in you know houses that are on the market. So it gives you an opportunity to kind of get a little bit more of a feel and a little bit more get your toes wet without actually having to get into the investment uh, game yet. I've heard Sandy does well, those too. Really? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Rob's the king of them, though. Rob's the king of them. Now we're gonna now we're gonna have to uh, edit that out because people are gonna know we paid you. <laughs> we uh, should start a paid podcast. That'd be awesome, actually. There you go. We should start um, getting paid so, for the podcast. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, also one of my uh, we, we've got actually uh, a guy who runs uh, Derm REI here, a wonderful guy Quentin, who's written a lot of books on uh, real estate. Uh, investment as well as uh, property management, um, all anything that he's written is it, a good resource to to get your feet wet as well. Yeah, Quentin D'Souza, look up his books. We've had him on the show before. I'm sure everybody's familiar with him. We pumped Durham REI here quite a bit. Lots, so, yeah. if you haven't read those books, definitely something that you should have done by now. And shame on you for not having done that. Okay, so guys, how can people reach out to you? How can they learn more about you, connect with you guys, talk to you a little bit more about all this stuff that you've been sharing with us tonight? Well, I can be reached at paul at salainc.com, which is paul at S-E-L-A-H-I-N-C dot com. Um, Or you can give me a call. My number is 905-424-4810. I will not take any calls past 9 o'clock. It's a rule that I've tried to set up about a year ago because I would take clients' calls at midnight, and my wife wasn't happy about that. <laughs> Definitely don't call me after 9 o'clock. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, for me, uh, a very similar email address, so Clinton, C-L-I-N-T-O-N, not to be mistaken with Quinton, which I get a lot. Uh, so Clinton, Or that woman that was running for president. Actually, no, it's her last name. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I had to live through that with Bill. Now i got to do it with Hillary. Oh, my God. Uh, so, that was the best during the election. <laughs> so it's Clinton at SalaInc.com. My phone number is uh, 289-355-4402. And of course, we have a website, which we've already directed you guys to for that free ebook that will be coming out. Uh, so that's SalaInc.com. And yeah, that's, those, those are the best ways to get a hold of us for sure. Oh, fantastic, guys. And you know what, Sandy, we have to give these guys some extra thanks because this is actually the second time that we've recorded this interview. <laughs> uh, the first time somehow we managed to not record it, either of us. So, yeah. Not even I, the uh, first time, that believe was, it or not. That was a the little embarrassing of a the... call when I had to call them and say, hey, guys. <laughs> yeah. You've had to do that twice. Well, at least this time you didn't have to bleep out all the swear words, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We cleaned it up anyway, so it worked out, I think. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. But, guys, thanks again for coming on and, and uh, spending another hour and a half with us today. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can't thank you enough. I know people are going to really, really love this. You guys have given us a lot of valuable information. So, I don't know. What more can I say? Thank you. Thank you very much again. Oh, thanks for having us, Rob. That was awesome. That's it.
Thanks. Our pleasure. Thanks, guys. And Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? And tell us what, what things you have coming up as well. Yeah, sure. So anyone wants to talk about real estate in Hamilton, open to talking about it. We do a lot of investor stuff, obviously, out here. You can reach out to me at 905-308-8333 or Sandy at McKayRealtyNetwork.com. One thing I'll just mention, I'll just throw it out there for now. We'll send out more info soon, but we're going to be doing a, an event on April 15th. So it'll be a couple of weeks after the show airs. And uh, I'll just leave it at that for now. <laughs> we need to define the topic. We haven't done it yet, but it's going to be an awesome uh, event. We're going to have uh, some investors probably do like a panel discussion on uh, an investing out here in Hamilton. So it'll be cool. Look out for that. Get on our email list and you'll hear more info. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm anxious to find out what it is myself. <laughs> People can reach me at, uh, at uh, rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. And if you want to join up on any of the tours that we have going on, I'm doing tours, uh, usually a couple of tours uh, a month, where we'll go out and look at investment properties that are perfect for installing these basement apartments like Clinton and uh, Paul are putting into these places. So you'll be able to work with me, and then you'll be able to work with them. It'll be great. So we are expanding our territory. We're going out to pretty much all these places that these guys have spoken about on the show here tonight. So get in touch with me, and we'll talk about this market, those markets, and find out what works best for you. And then you guys can join us on a property tour and probably meet Maybe even meet these guys at at some point or another as well. So my number is 289-927-0464. And again, guys, thank you very much. And for everyone listening, have a great night.